Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Bayarjon, and I am Dr. VR. And for this eighth episode, I have the pleasure of having Victoria Busis, who is an award-winning experiential director, writer, creative technologist of immersive experience, and most importantly, director of the interactive VR experience, Stay Alive, My Son, which we're going to discuss today. Hi, Victoria, and welcome to Dr. VR. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. It's uh, always exciting to talk about the work uh, with people that uh, know about VR. I, well, it's an, it's an immense pleasure to have you because your experience is absolutely unique. So, Victoria, can you tell us uh, a bit about your uh, professional background? Sure. Um, my professional background is a little bit um, non-traditional in terms of getting to being a director in VR, it started uh, as a prosecutor for the attorney generals um, in my 20s for the state of Illinois. Um, a very, um, very big interest, I guess, in, in the human experience. And their stories came alive about people that um, needed their voices to be heard. Um, I saw potential to expand that reach uh, in my work um, to impact especially younger generations. Um, which then took me into film. I produced for about 13 years, a lot of, you know, story-driven, character-driven pieces uh, about the human experience uh, that went globally. And then with the changing of the industry, going into streaming and seeing kind of this big influx of content, I was always interested in technology and interested in ways to kind of deepen that dialogue and reach people in a more impactful and resonant way. And I dove into VR and I was really hooked at the way in which VR allows people to participate in the story, to actually live the story, especially with interactive and um, interactive um, VR and also the idea of embodiment. So I created my first experience while I was studying at MIT, uh, earning my master's in technology, media and entertainment. And uh, when I saw people's reaction, it was just kind of the proof. And I wanted to take that a step further by merging cinema and gaming mechanics together so that we can actually step inside the shoes of a protagonist and experience their story, live their story in hopes of that experience, that human experience and those learnings that we take from, from making it our own would resonate deeper and it would actually impact social change um, in the present time. So that's that's the journey. Well, it's an amazing journey and uh, been a very interesting one, knowing that you come from a background as a career persecutor and turned into an XR developer. I absolutely love it. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned, yeah. sorry. No, it's it's funny because, you know, one piece kind of brought my entire life together and I only found that out after the fact. So it's it's funny to look back now and say, oh, that kind of made sense. Yeah, I, there, there was an intention there that I didn't know about quite yet in my 20s, but I came to find it out later on in life. So, yes. It absolutely does. And you mentioned something in your introduction. You mentioned human involvement, human relations. And I feel like this is really at the center of uh, your recently released, um, you know, the, the recently released adaptation that you just did of the book To Vivre Mon Fils, an English uh, version for Stay Alive, My Son. You turned this into a VR experience that pushes the limits of the medium where human involvement is at the center. And so the story 
takes us on a gripping and epic journey back to the tragic era of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. By stepping into the shoes of a survivor and father in search of his lost son and his salvation. So can you explain to us what attracted you to turn this emotionally charged and gripping story into VR? Well, it was it, it was one of those things where as a director, you're trying to think of that first piece, right? That you want the world to see that that embodies who you are, what you really care about, and also tries to uh, push the medium forward some way and so that people could actually become a better version of themselves and society could become a better version of itself. And at that time, as I was reflecting back on my life and the story that I wanted to tell, um, it was also a very pivotal time in my life of, of a lot of change. And I kept on thinking of, of Pinyatai's words to me of, of talking about how he believed in optimism and this idea of hope and how much we need hope in this day um, because so many things were going on, even more things are going on currently. And I, I started reflecting on his story and the book and I reread it again. And the book is as beautiful and as gripping and as gut-wrenching um, as, as the experiences, but still this man maintains this gorgeous, gorgeous uh, reflection of life, this, this hope, this optimism, this levity, despite the fact that he endured so much. And I thought if people could step inside the shoes of this man and see what he went through, but still has these, 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 the strength that I think a lot of younger people should have in a time where a lot of younger people are, you know, depressed or they're challenged by so much going on. Uh, I thought it would be a beautiful piece to bring to life. That being said, um, at the same time, the Syrian refugee crisis was happening in Greece. And I was really, really torn apart by those graphic images uh, that we all saw on screen. And I kept thinking, you know, the, the, my, my legal side kept tugging at me, wondering, you know, is this really just? Should a parent be forced to make these decisions when it's not even their fault, but yet bear the burden of those decisions. And as I was wrestling with, with all these elements, I said, why don't I make a piece that actually speaks about social change, speaks about uh, allowing people to experience this man's story, to find and delve deeper into the psychological impact, the years lost in between, that sense of not knowing, so that uh, they could potentially become change agents. So these kind of circumstances, especially those of genocide, war, violence, persecution, doesn't continue happening and doesn't force parents and families to be separated and to make these kind of tragic decisions that last for generations. And to add to what you just said, that gut-wrenching, emotionally charged story that you just described, uh, not only was I able to feel the way you interpreted yourself, uh, the story through VR? Because I felt like it was also a, a very personal vision of what you did um, through the, um, the medium itself. Uh, but also, I felt like the medium was the right one to adapt this story. Uh, so people Thanks. could really, yeah, of course, you're welcome, could really, you know, experience what the protagonist and yourself as an artist were trying to say to people, to the audience, to the users, the, the, 
the spectators who are going to experience uh, Stay Alive, My Son. And your experience is very immersive and very interactive. And these are elements that are deeply connected to VR. But yeah. however, you, you, you included film elements to it, which is very interesting, such as filming actors and actresses and make them act in your piece. And also, I want to say that uh, your uh, VR piece stars uh, French-Cambodian film actress Elodie Jung, which I really appreciate as an actress. And I'm wondering- She's brilliant. She's she brilliant. is brilliant. And, and, and actually, brilliant. I don't know if you know this, Justin, but her father was actually a survivor of the Cambodian genocide. So oh. when I was thinking of my casting, you know, the, I was sent a, a bunch of a wonderful um, actresses. Um, and as I was looking at them, I was really drawn to Elodie's work and also her story. And I, I literally, you know, um, emailed all of her agents and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, in, in France, in the UK, here in, in, in Los Angeles, because I was really convinced that she really had the strength and the complexity of, of the mother in this piece which really goes through a, a full change, you know, uh, as a character as well, um, but also a, as a woman and as a mother. And I felt that she embodied it. So I, I'm really glad she was a part of the piece. And I'm so glad that um, uh, you felt that as, as I did, that it was the right choice and, and, and she was uh, beautiful and, and, and gorgeous in it. She was, and uh, she really, I felt like she really connected with the character of course, of course because you mentioned uh, her father, was uh, unfortunately, you know, involved in all these uh, tragic events that happened. So I could feel it. I could feel her presence. I could feel her artistry behind what she did. And that's why I'm asking VR, film, why incorporating elements of two media into one? And what was it like to work with both at the same time? Yeah, um, it was a real uh, definite choice from the beginning for me. And the reason being versus, you know, having a metahuman of, of, of Pinyatai himself, which is, you know, purely a digital a human, I felt that two reasons. Number one, this is a real family we're talking about, right? And yeah. I wanted people to feel that this is a beautiful family that was loving and, and gorgeous and, and healthy and full of life. And to see that um, progressive deterioration of not just them physically uh, due to the camps, but also the tearing apart of their family. And I felt that I needed to honor who they were by, by allowing actors to bring them to life inside the game engine. The second reason behind that creative choice was an emotional reason too, because I believe that all people inside of our hearts, we somehow carry those, those people that we love inside of them. And, and for me is how, how I envisioned my heart and how I envisioned Yatai's heart was something similar. Like I, I, I envisioned actually them being inside, inside his heart and being the people that he carried inside of him through the years that allowed him to accomplish so much afterwards. It gave them that, that will to live. It gave them the strength in those dark hours to continue for them. And so I felt that having actors bring this family to life to, to translate the emotional strength of what a family does to us, uh, but also to draw out um, 
those narrative um, and emotional beats that were necessary to honor the family and the story. That's absolutely wonderful. And I really feel that, you know, when a story seems appropriate for a medium, or in this case, too, everything makes sense. I had this discussion with Kara Maliki Sanchez in my previous episode, the director of Five R's. And we were talking about what does make a good VR experience, you know, and mm -hmm. we came up with the discussion with the conclusion that what makes a good VR experience is an experience that justifies the reason why it was made in VR. And I truly feel that your experience truly belong in, 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 in that sphere, in that answer. It, it is a true VR piece and it belongs there. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and it's um it's it's really so wonderful to to hear you say that. And and I, I really, really thank you for that. Um it, it was very challenging, you know, to take a piece like this that's so epic that would ordinarily be seen as a film or a documentary and try to make it there, but also, you know, using the mechanics, a game yeah. mechanics, uh, to actually draw those out without having those mechanics trumpet. Um, but having it underscore the participants' involvement in the story and their exploration and their kind of unraveling of the story. So um, I'm I'm glad it worked. I'm glad it worked, and um, it's 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 been a thrill seeing people's reactions to it. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely did. I'm just wondering, did you approach your VR experience as a video game, a movie, an interactive movie, or maybe something else entirely? Um, I definitely did not approach it as a game. Um, because there's nothing about a game, you know, uh, about it for me. It definitely isn't a film because it's not a passive experience. Um, and it's not also 360 video, which I think is a more of a passive experience. I don't think it really leverages the power of VR as it was originally intended. Um, I think it's something, I think it's, it, it, I think it's an interactive and immersive film. I think it is the future of what storytelling can be, especially when the audience has the opportunity and privilege to step inside the shoes of the protagonist and experience the story. So it's a very first person um, active um, film um, experience that, that takes you in, in this world and allows you to hear this person's thoughts and engage with the elements and come close to the characters inside the piece unlike no other medium so yeah that's absolutely true and that's why i called people who experience these type of like you mentioned interactive films interactive pieces spect actors being a spectacular spectator you know um watching something unfolding a narrative unfolding in front of you but being an active spectator into it like it'll just like in your piece yeah, and I think also you you also touch upon um, that you you had some some pieces that you were looking at for education. I think education is is one element of this as well because you're up you're allowed the opportunity with the flashlight, with you know the the videos playing and other elements of the piece to actually learn about the Cambodian genocide in a more I mean, active way, right? You're sort of a researcher. Yeah, you you actually uh, are teaching people about this and. And it was surprising to me that across all ages, actually, of the, of the the thousands of people that have seen the experience already, a lot of people did not know that this occurred. 
and it was it inspired people and it, it compelled people into action to to ask me questions to actually buy the book online uh, to research about the Cambodian genocide. Um, one group actually are, are going to Cambodia because of not only the story, but also the magnificence of Angkor Wat Temple and the culture as well, which I also wanted to underscore because part of that civilization is not just a tragedy, but also it has a really deep history. Uh, it's magnificent architecture. Um, so it is a, a beautiful um, culture and a beautiful country as well. Absolutely. I'm sure it is. And uh, I could tell um, your love of the country and the culture through your VR experience. It really translated it quite well. And thank you. It was funny because a lot of the references that we've used besides, you know, stuff online and stuff that was, was actually for my collection of photos because I traveled to Cambodia. That's where I found the book. So it, it oh. was, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, everything makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Now, your experience, like uh, we discussed previously, very immersive, very interactive. You also call it an, an interactive film. How would you describe working with VR technologies and mechanics like 360 environments, haptics, three degrees of freedom? And how did you approach these uh, technologies? Well, I think um, for us, it was really thinking about um, spatial computing, right? And our idea of, of presence within a virtual world because we do move around the world. So it was very important to really dig deep inside a, a lot of gaming, a lot of ideas of presence, a lot of uh, spatial elements to understand how to actually construct each level so that there was a sense of movement through it. Um, we had to make sure that the scale was correct so that in the moments where we felt something was overwhelming, like when we first land in the land of the dead and you see those gigantic, you know, ribs coming around you and you're looking around, it has to have that kind of overwhelming uh, feeling. When we, when we step inside his mental prison, you have to have those feelings of claustrophobia, you know, and the sense of you're being kind of taken through this labyrinth of sorts. Uh, and then obviously as you're as you're moving towards the heart you have that moment of exhale where you know you're going to something that's bright and something that's promising something that's full of of possibility and so yeah. you know playing with space was very important so we had to go through um a lot of research in the beginning followed by countless iterations of blackout where i was literally play testing it and making sure that the level itself in terms of the architecture of it was actually underscoring those emotions that I wanted to, to carry on. And then obviously, you know, layers of sound design to, and, and cues um, of level design to lead the player down a certain path to still keep them almost on edge sometimes inside the prison with the door slamming or, or, or the yells or the walking on the bones. Like all those things had to underscore uh, the key emotions. So what I did essentially is I divided each major scene within each level uh, based on emotion first. So the emotion was underscored by the level design, the actual items that were listed inside, the actual architecture and the building of each level followed by even color palettes. So everything was very intentional leading all the way to score and, and, and sound design. So always led by an emotion first. I think was the way to approach it since it is an emotionally driven uh, medium. 
it was the emotion was it was emotionally driven but it was it was also uh the oppressive feeling you mentioned was very palpable it was there I could feel it I could feel the pressure also the sound design it's a very sensorial experience the sound design is out of this world uh everything works and you feel like you said that also that breathing moment you feel like you're slowly sometimes getting out of it and oh you're being drawn back into it it's like a nightmare you know and like you yeah. mentioned it yourself uh sort of a nightmarish maze labyrinth and uh um, well, you're also you know at the same time justin you're, you're still also you still want to create elements of surprise right yeah. um because it is an entertaining medium as well so you have to uh beat it out in a way that you know, you bring the audience up to bring them back down again, to bring them back up. And this emotional up and down is this element of surprise where people, you know, sometimes, you know, it was hard to go through it because it's really, really quite, um, it's hard, emotionally difficult to see a family being torn apart. But people wanted to continue because they always felt that something was going to happen. And for a piece that's, you know, 55 minutes long, um, we were really mindful of, of, of each person. And there was a lot of user testing to make sure that we were delivering something that was also um, exciting and, and, and gripping, you know, to also experience. Yeah. And it, it absolutely was, it absolutely was. And you mentioned 55 minutes. Yep. And it's funny because I remember at the beginning of the, the experience, when we meet the main protagonist in his home, where he tells us, you know, the story he lived, uh, he afterwards he gives us a bracelet uh, which has the power to make us users relive his experience in the form of a like a nightmare like you mentioned but although we're encouraged to interact with the environment at our own pace a lot of agency and freedom are being given to us so for instance while we're being prompted to guide us uh, in uh, along the intended intended narrative path by following visual cues like you mentioned uh, we can choose to stay in the protagonist's office at the beginning and interact with objects that that will tell us more about the story or or also to watch a tv show about a cambodian people reconnecting with long lost family members so a lot of a lot of freedom of doing the things we want and like you mentioned previously almost almost learning being a researcher yourself what what encouraged you to create your vr experience this way um i think that every person's space tells a story. And yes. I think that by walking into someone's home, a home resonates who we are, the life we've lived, the, the people that we, we've become. And I think because we spent so little time with him today, I wanted to add elements of his story and who he was so that you started getting a sense when you walked into the home that the home is a is a pleasant and warm home so you're not alienated by 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 this man you're not scared because you know vr is new for a lot of people so i wanted it to be welcoming because he himself is very welcoming and i wanted then people from all the different little things we added you know to see oh yeah there's there's a woman that lives here oh the pictures on on uh, along the staircase oh that's telling me a story oh the map Oh, that's that's where he traveled the ability to look at the television uh to see the relevance so we start adding these cues uh the ability to walk around his office and see that there's you know there's a basketball oh he must have children people when they when they go back and they see it again um subconsciously you notice these things you know interacting with them just takes that a step further right but as we go through the story and then we go to the end 
you actually, it goes full circle. And then you realize, oh, wow, that was those elements. So I think, you know, to come into his home is also to become part of his home and to become part of his life. And then when we take the, his, his prayer beads from him, that is in effect what I interpreted as kind of our call to action. And we go off on our quest on our hero's journey. So I wanted people to actually accept that, you know, and actually take it. And, and, and then they realize that they have agency and they're going to help heal this man and give him the peace that he's so longed. Yes. And what I also appreciated, like you mentioned, some people are not very used to VR, but you give us the space to do it, to experience it the way we want to. But what was most ex interesting with your piece and very enthralling to me was, was time. We're being given time to do yeah. what we want and to explore. And that is an important facet of VR, just VR itself. Maybe video games does that a lot, you know, with open worlds and things like that. But with your piece, it was a major part of it. And I thank you very much for this. Yeah, and I think it was important at the beginning, you know, it kind of starts a little slower than it takes you off on a magic carpet ride, as I call it. Um, I think for people to turn that knob off in their mind, because when you go in a game, you know you're going for an objective, right? You're in this fast pace, I need to figure something out. And there's a sense of like urgency that we have, right? To, to score the points, do these things. But in this, I wanted a slow brew so that people were kind of disarmed by the tone of it so that they knew, ah, I can take my time. I can explore. So that this way it kind of um, disarmed them and allowed them that space and that time, as you mentioned, to allow the story to penetrate uh, deeper because at the end, it is about an objective of calling to action people to, to you know, help the mission of family reunification. So I think it needs that welcoming. It needs that time um, to, to, to deepen, to deepen our emotions and deepen our, our, our vested interest in, in this man and his story. Victoria, what do you consider to be a successful VR experience? I think a successful VR experience is one that transforms us one that uses the medium to its fullest potential to show us a world, to experience a story that we would ordinarily not experience in a deeper, more meaningful way, for which when we re remove the headset, we have questions, we are curious, we are moved, We've been engaged and somehow we have emerged transformed and we take some kind of action towards that. I think that for me is, is success. Absolutely. That's very well defined. Thank you for the yeah. Victoria. Sure, <laughs> so sure. the scope of my research covers VR experiences that do not try or at least do not impose uh, decisions, you know, do not impose predetermined choices to users. Because the latter attach importance to the user's intention being captured, you know. So I believe these factors provide to the users direct participation, involvement, and pleasure, as subjective as it is, of course, in the narrative when there is one. So there are video games out there uh, that inspired my concept. And um, I'm giving you some titles such as Heavy Rain, uh, Detroit Become Human by Quantic Dreams. 
So uh, these video games focus on um, the players where their choices influence the course of the narrative. So your choices will even influence the ending of the game. Uh, there are several possible endings to the story of Harry Heavy Rain, for instance. I believe there are 19 different based wow. on choices you make. Yeah, yeah, it's quite amazing. And this helped me frame my main research object, the spectator, which I believe is, of course, at the center of your experience. So my question is, you know, how would the introduction of a higher degree of narrative freedom akin to the mechanics seen in the video games I mentioned, where player decisions substantially mold the storyline instead of adhering to a fixed narrative, like the ones you previously mentioned in a video game to get points as many as you want or to finish the race, you know, to potentially influence the quality of experiences offered by uh, Stay Alive, My Son. In, in the case of Stay Alive, My Son, so like every, every story, right, has to have the right medium as it has to have the right way in which we experience it, right? And, and it's very um, story specific, I would say. In the case of Stay Alive, My Son, we couldn't do a branching narrative, so to speak, because the story is linear, right? Um, it is one that has a beginning, middle and end that follows the life of, the, of this man as it was told. But I am too very interested in exploring branching narratives for the sense of, of um, creating these multiple outcomes. But for me, the multiple outcomes would be kind of, uh, would, would hinge on the emotion I want that person to have. So, because every, for a game or an experience or a, a VR immersive film, to actually be powerful what you mentioned earlier, like this idea of success, right? It has to transform us. So irrespective of what that outcome is, you have to go through a character arc to get there because then your decisions, if your decisions don't matter and don't underscore that emotion, whether it's an, a, a feeling of, you know, a sense of greed that you feel or a sense of guilt that you feel or a sense of a compassion you feel, it has to, your choices have to underscore that. Because that's when you actually get kind of that hit to your stomach saying, oh, wow, I just became that person. Yeah. And I think a lot of that work is very powerful when VR is used even outside of the, the game sphere, when it's used, you know, to teach people about discrimination or uh, about racism or about, you know, parenting. We don't even realize that our choices sometimes matter and to actually have it almost compressed in, in a shorter form, this idea of time with decisions that lead you towards a path of an emotion, I think that's very powerful. I think that's part of it. Yeah. And how much freedom of action do you think a VR experience should have to be considered a successful one? How much freedom of experience do you think it has? Um, mm. It's an interesting question because I don't, I don't think there is a definitive answer to tell you the truth about how much because it really ends up being, has it been tested enough that there is this flow, this, this, this state of yeah. flow right, in the game? Um, because when you have too much freedom, like for instance, in Stay Alive My Son, we made things interactable along the player path. If we made every little thing interactable, then what would happen is people would kind of lose their focus and not follow the experience. It would also make it very difficult to show in, in festivals. You know, people already stay in the headset for over an hour. So it would make it um, too, too far removed. Um, so I think it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And if that freedom actually underscores 
what the creator wants the participants to take away. Sometimes too much freedom is, is not a good thing. The same way if you inhibit a player too much, it's also not a good thing. So I think it really needs to match up with the story you're trying to tell. Absolutely. I'm going to continue to, to what you just said. You mentioned flow. Yeah. And some, some researchers argue that immersion is a you know, psychological state uh, indicating the extent to which users perceive themselves present in a virtual environment. But however, many scholars define immersion as an, as an inherent characteristic of the medium or uh, a result thereof. So in other words, media or its products can possess varying degrees of immersion and consequently influencing the sense of immersion experienced by users. So keeping this perspective in mind, how did you consider and address the concepts of presence, flow, and immersion in the creation of your experience? Um it's, this is an interesting one. I know you know a lot more about this since you've been, you know, studying for a PhD on the, on the topic. Um, but for me, it was something that I learned through experience. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. Uh, chapter one of Stay Alive, My Son, had game mechanics, actual puzzles uh, yeah. that, uh, that the participant had to do to unlock the next step, so to speak, inside the prison especially. And we had to make that choice because at the time we had not figured out the technology behind the volumetric capture, the cutscenes inside inside the project. Um, depth kit was not offered for Unreal Engine. They were too heavy. Yeah. There was too much artifacting. It just wasn't working correctly. But we had to, you know, we had to present something in Venice. And what I noticed there, which I did not know until I, I actually saw it, was that the moment you ask a participant to do a logic-based action, mm -hmm you start something else in their mind. You go from the emotional state of this immersive emotional state into a logic state. So then they're wondering, okay, what, what do I need to do next? What do I do next? And you completely take them out of the emotional state. So it triggers this kind of uh, want of a player to first wonder what, what are they gonna do next? And two, this element of frustration which destroys flow, right? Because if they don't get it and if they can't advance, then what people end up doing is getting frustrated. They feel that they're that they're silly or they're not getting it. And that's when most games, I think, also fall apart when some game mechanics and puzzles are too difficult. In our state, I knew right after Venice that we had to figure out the volumetric capture because this project in, in particular was not really talking about a flow state in terms of a traditional game. It was talking about an emotional flow state where people were given cues that underscored mechanics that are organic mechanics. For instance, you know, the pushing of the bell, the lifting of a newspaper, those things are stuff that we know how to do because we've done them in the real life. So we kept everything um, resting on organic mechanics that we know about versus puzzle mechanics to keep people in this emotional immersion. Uh, versus some logic-driven actions. So when we figured that out, that's why Stay Alive, My Son, Chapter 2 is kind of almost like a reimagining of it. And we had to kind of redo a lot of big portions of it to, to make it this way. But we felt that it gave the, the participant the right amount of challenge, so to speak, um, to actually do the interactions, but still remain interested and emotionally engaged while we played a lot with emotional uh, states. 
Yeah, and this is something you saw firsthand because you presented your experience in very prestigious film festivals, such as uh, the Cannes Film Festival, the Biennale in Venice, and of course, uh, Five Rs, you know. So what's it like to show a VR piece in a VR in a film festival? Wow, it's a big wow. Um, it's, it's I, I remember when I, when I received my um, acceptance letter from Venice, I actually FaceTimed my parents and I took a screenshot of it. And sometimes I look back at that photo, I have the biggest smile on my face. Oh, that's so nice. It, it, no, it was such an accomplishment, you know, because we half of my team at the time was uh, was in Ukraine. And so the war had just happened to actually deliver the piece was such an emotional um, and difficult and challenging um, element. We were actually living stories of family separation as we're actually making the story of family separation. So to receive it and to be brought in this prestigious place among so many wonderful creators, uh, and to be treated so so lovely, uh, Venice is just. I mean, the curators um, are, are just wonderful, wonderful to work with, and and it was really quite um, an honor to be a part of it. Uh, a lot of film festivals around the world um, have also been so gracious to incorporate VR um, into it, which shows that they're pretty, you know, forward thinking in terms of the future of storytelling which is wonderful to see. The elements that make it difficult are, you know, my project requires workstations. So yeah. I've yeah. been carrying, you know, computers around the world and luggage and I've, you know, setting that up and, and having that work. And, you know, there isn't really big budgets for creators to travel to these various destinations um, and to bring their systems and all that element. But I think, you know, as the medium is embraced more and companies see the value of it as being another element to storytelling, I think um, that will become easier. And also, you know, I'm sure we're going to step into the day where uh, there is streaming and there won't be the need for the workstation. So more people can experience things and in, in a wider sense. And um, it's it's uh, going to be great. But it, it's been it's been it's been such an adventure. I mean, I think I've been around the world and back, um, and I'm actually leaving for for Taiwan in two days. Um, oh, that's wonderful! So yeah, wow! Yeah. Congrats, Victoria. That's great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course, and I like you mentioned. I wish, uh, I hope, one day we'll have you know streaming VR streaming services like Steam, where we can see all of those wonderful VR experiences we see at festivals because sometimes it's just a one-time only type of thing. You know, we yeah. get to experience them only once and that's it. And it's 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 a shame, honestly. Um, your VR pieces is quite unique. Its duration is mentioned to be 30 minutes long on certain websites, but it took me almost an hour to complete it, which could be considered as quite, you know, long for the medium. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a bad thing at all. And people's attention is quite different in VR than it is with movies, with movies usually ranging from 90 minutes, ironically, and more. But VR is different. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? And how do you maintain people's involvement in VR for over 60 minutes or around 60 minutes? Yeah, I think, you know, some of those were mistakes actually on the websites, to be perfectly honest. Um, we were always between like a 45 and 55 minutes. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, that that's nor here nor there. I think, to be honest, it was a big question. And when I first started the piece, the, it started off with a script. 
And a lot of people were telling me, oh, wow, this, this is a big piece for VR. You know, people are not going to stay in the headset for, for this long. Are you sure you want to do this? And it's quite also a lift, you know, both financially, but also production wise. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a pretty big lift. But I, I knew in, in my heart, because I know how I feel when I watch some films, you know, when you watch Schindler's List, the film is what, over three hours. I'm engaged all three hours. So I knew in my heart that if I delivered a piece that was worthy of someone's attention and someone's time and someone's emotional uh, vest in, in, in that story, I think people would stay in the headset. So it was up to me to kind of do my job as a director to, to give audiences something that was worthy of their time. And so, yes, I think uh, an experience should not be defined based on time, but should be defined based on what is that experience of each person? Is it a good one? Then that time is justified. If it's a bad one or if it's, you know, boring in some sense, then that should be shorter, which is true for, I believe, films and all mediums, to be honest. So I think people need to always think about that. Um, in VR, you as a director have a closer connection to people because you are actually seeing them, you know, interact with, with your film and be a part of it. So you get to see them experience it. So it's almost like a, a, a dual dialogue. So that really also informed me along the way through my user testing and through the various festivals we went to, how to even make it better. And yeah. for me, I wanted to deliver the best experience because, you know, as a director, I'm serving an audience um, and I want them to be happy. I want them to learn. I want them to be excited and um, I want them to love the story, you know. And I was all of this when I did yours. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And your, your, your piece is different. Because users are invited to use a joystick to move around in the virtual environment yeah. of your uh, VR piece instead of uh, teleportation, which is something that's quite uh, familiar, that's quite, um, yeah. you know, a current practice when it comes to VR and VR gamings and things like that. Uh, with The Void, like I previously uh, interviewed Curtis Hickman from The Void, where we get to move, physically move around uh, an area. Uh, so your, yours, we get to move around using a joystick. And sometimes people feel, you know, uh, VR sickness when using yep. a joystick. How did you design comfort in your VR experience? Yeah, first of all, um, the choice to go, you know, an actual walking, physically walking via voice, joystick versus teleporting was a conscientious choice okay. um, because of, of, of the way the story is. You, by walking each moment, that's when the music comes in and you start kind of getting these feelings. If you teleported, there would be a break in that, yeah. in that, in that growing sense of suspense. So for me, it was absolutely vital to have it. Then came, you know, kind of what you mentioned, uh, the idea of preventing, you know, uh, motion sickness from occurring um, and having it be the right rate. That ha has been um, an exploration in and of itself because we had to test variant, variant um, rates, but also despite the fact that say we chose a certain kind of rate of movement, also the space to find the rate. The bigger the space, then people felt it was moving too slow. 
whereas the rate is kind of more or less consistent throughout the entire piece. But when you go to the prison, that rate is perfect. It's almost like too fast, you know, because you want to like kind of go slow because you're also, you get scared and you're not sure what's happening. So kind of getting that middle ground through extensive user testing was, was very important. The other element that we added is when you initially first start to move, it's really understanding the neuroscience of your brain because your brain is saying to you, wait, you're moving, but you're not physically moving. So there's this initial kind of disconnect between our mind and our body and then the joystick. So to take that into account, we used a small kind of accelerator and decelerator in the piece so that you don't ramp up and you don't move really fast. So you don't get that jolting feeling, which causes some of that um, nausea. So, and, you know, you know, this for yourself doing so many pieces, the moment someone goes into that motion sickness, it's kind of hard to come out of it. And yep. we knew the piece was, you know, emotionally charged. We knew there was all these other elements. We didn't want that to, to destroy the experience. So it's, it's, it was a work in progress, but it was a lot of um, testing and also understanding kind of how our brain works and how to help the brain adjust to movement via joystick. Yeah. And it was very uh, seamless. It was very Thank nice. You. And uh, I felt that you put in a lot of effort in this, but I really liked something that you said. You mentioned something that's very cinematic, cinematographic. You mentioned you have, when you start moving, you hear the music. That's yeah. very cinematic. That's, and I see that you are highly inspired from film here. I um, am. I am. Yeah, I, I can am. tell. And I really appreciate that of you as an artist because you're pushing the medium to a different direction. You know, everybody starts talking about the end of cinema and things like that. But I feel like artists like you um, push it even further. You know, we give us, you give us another branch, another avenue of film. And I like that a lot, actually. Thank you. I, I think it was, it, it was a real, because I come from cinema and I believe in cinema and I love cinema. And mm -hmm. you know, you know, from those epic films like Titanic, when that music starts to swell or you start getting that, those, that music coming in, you know, so, there's a prelude to something that's about to happen. And that's I think cinema, that's, yeah. that's okay. yeah, that's our emotions. And, and I really wanted, you know, and my, and my composer was brilliant, TK Broderick, you know, you know, I, I said to him, I want like Hans Zimmer, I want epic score. <laughs> I want us to have our emotions and our heart want to soar, you know, as if we're soaring towards this beautiful, you know, heart, uh, heart tree, this temple. I want us to feel that. And, um, and I think he did a really, really beautiful job and he, and he just got it right. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Thank you. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges in the design of VR project like yours? You know, more precisely, which one did you have to overcome during production? I, I think the initial hurdle of, um, first was not knowing the medium and how to, how to, you know, I knew nothing about gaming. I knew nothing about the Unreal Game Engine. I, I came completely at it blind, so to speak, um, outside of just being um, part of the Unreal Fellowship in um, the winter of, of 2020, actually, in, in kind of that in, wow. in COVID times. And um, to actually write a screenplay and have to rewrite it so many times, to rewrite it from the point of view of, of the participant, the participant does this, the participant does that, then you're constantly thinking of that person and putting yourself in their shoes as you're moving through the words, as if you're moving through the space. So to get that right initially uh, was important. Second is transitions. 
you know, a, a lot of VR experiences cheat the transition and they go to a fade to black. I didn't want, I didn't want to cheat it. Like when we fall to the floor in order for us to get that right, we had to do a lot of, of, of work. Same thing when you open up the door from the prison and, and you fly to the heart, those are huge levels. So to figure out the technology of how to start offloading elements of the level before so that it didn't break the frame rate or I should say drop the frame rate significantly, those kinds of things had to, had to be optimized um, at no end uh, to get that right because I didn't want to cheat it. I wanted people to, to be in the story continually. So that yeah. was difficult. And then obviously the, the change of, of the memories was also, was also very challenging because of um, the technology hurdles we faced uh, last year, which we resolved thankfully um, for a much more beautiful experience. So all those are considerations. So every time you have creativity, it has to be complemented with what is the potential on a technical basis. So you're, those things are going hand in hand and the creativity must work with, with, with the technology you have and the limitations. And then if you don't, what it does invariably is it, it forces you almost to figure it out. And, and oftentimes it's been pleasant ways that we found more interesting ways to tell the story by finding more interesting transitions or uh, other mechanics. So um, it is an exploration, but you have to be open. You have to be flexible. There is no manual. No one's ever done what we did before. I mean, mm -hmm. it, that's why we also got the PGA award. Like I, it's, it's never been done. So you're kind of creating the language, right? You're creating the medium as, as, as you go along. So you have to be flexible. You have to be patient. You have to have a great team and you have to really love um, what you're doing and what you're trying to tell. Or else That's, it's not, it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I completely understand that. Um, what's your dream VR experience? My dream VR experience. Um, I think every VR experience um, that I, I've, I've done, especially this one has been a dream come true, to be honest. Um, I can't believe I'm actually even here. Sometimes I almost have to pinch myself to be like, wow, has this actually really happened? Because it, it's been, I mean, it, it, it's been such an adventure. Um, but in terms of my my dream project, I I love to really push that envelope in case you haven't got that already from, from our chat and from the experience. I want to explore um, underwater a lot. I have an idea of somebody that I want to work with. Um, I really want us, because that's the point of VR, right? We, we should go into places that we can't go. We should dive into places that a camera cannot travel traditionally. Uh, we should have people experience new worlds. Um, and so I think, you know, what is it? 70% of the earth's land is covered by water. Well, that means there's 70% of a world we don't know yet. And there's so many secrets and stories hidden in, in, in under the water that I would love to explore something like that. Of course, I'm throwing myself into another technical hurdle because water is very difficult to do, but you know. Well, you could be the James Cameron of VR, you know? I, I can be the James Cameron. It's funny you say that because someone called me that already and I was like, those are big shoes to fill, but I'm <laughs> up for the challenge. And um, and yeah, I mean, give me a challenge. I'll, I'll take it. I, I'm, I'm not scared of challenge, but I'm sure I'll be breaking more computers along the way. But it's something that I really, really love. And, and so I'm a, a bit obsessed about that right now. Mm -hmm. um, another another um, experience that I'm also really obsessed about is um, 
the idea of taking a procedural and making a serialized version of a procedural, I think um, it would be really, really interesting to have people kind of go inside the shoes of a detective, so to speak, but not in a gamey version, but a more narrative driven version. Like, you know, there's there's powerful stories that are psychological thrillers. I think that could be interesting with interesting points. So there's a lot that I want to do um, and that I'm excited yeah. about. So, yeah. But I hope that experience would be an, an, an interactive one, though. Absolutely. It has to be. It has to be. So procedural experiences, yeah. water-based experiences, that's what's next for you, I guess, Victoria. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually working on a, a fashion project right now, um, which is an, another experience of itself, dealing a lot with a really big fashion brand and, and um, you know, Nordic mythology and uh, another tailspin of cloth simulations and avatars. But um, that uh, is another piece we're working on right now. But yeah, it, it's just, you know, pushing the game engine as far as we can to tell interesting stories. That's wonderful. And uh, Victoria, honestly, I think you're doing an absolutely great job doing that. And I thank you very much for it. I have a quick question for you. So what was your what was your favorite scene or your favorite moment? Actually, it's funny because the my favorite moment is in your experience. Of course, the whole nightmare uh, labyrinth was amazing, you know, with all of its jump scares and the acting behind it. But my favorite moment was when I was the house of the protagonist and I was welcomed in and I had the chance of walking around his house, interacting with the stuff, taking the phone putting it like physically taking the phone and putting it to my ears to listen to someone talking, watching TV, reading what was on the computer. That thing that made me learn more about the history of the film, it's the interactive film, the story itself, but also the main protagonist and all the stories behind and all of its different layers. Yeah. And that was amazing. And that's what, that's, that's, it's that specific moment that prompted me to reach out to you when it comes wow. to my entertainment section that I'm I'm working on in my dissertation. Yeah. So it's it's crazy, Justin, because you know, someone told me recently, which I did not realize because you know, you make this, you make this, you make this project and you give it to the world, right? And 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 you allow the world to tell you how how they feel about it. And a lot of people love, love, love the home. And uh one one gentleman too is also a PhD, um, he's a professor as well. He said, when, when Yatai opened up that door, I felt he was human in many ways because he was so, he had so many human-like movements and characteristics that I wanted to help him. I wanted to know about him. I wanted to come inside his house. And I don't, you don't realize that when you're making it, right? You, you're just kind of like, okay, this is how I feel about it. This is how I feel about this man. This is how I felt when I walked inside his house. Okay, so let me translate that to people. So I'm, I'm glad you felt that way. And I have one more question for you. Um, what was the most emotional moment for you? Uh, wow, that is a very good question. Every time, because I'm a father of two children. And yeah. every time I would see him, you know, during the nightmarish moments, when I would see him speaking to his, you know, his children, when I would see him going on one knee and start talking to him and and telling them that he would come back and then he doesn't come back. And they're with their mom and they're you can tell that they're they're confused about what's going on and they're 
trying to be the best parents they can in such an, an abnormal and painful situation. And I could feel all of the emotions behind it. And it worked so well, thanks to the way you filmed it, the way you you made, made it happen, but also thanks to your performers, actors and actresses involved. It felt true. It's an experience that feels real and raw. And that's why I loved it so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm really honored for, for your time as well. And, and for, and for the words that it, it really uh, propels me to, to continue, you know, pushing the film, having people see it. So I'm, I'm super appreciative of, of, of this, uh, of this interview, Justin, thank you so much. It's really, really wonderful of you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, saying all those kind words. And it was a pleasure to have you on Dr. VR and please Victoria, keep us posted about your next project. Please, of course, and 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 let the world know about it. And your podcast is one way. So thank you very much. And to all the listeners, um, please come reach out to us and find out more about Stay Alive, My Son. Find out more about the story and, and follow our story as we take it around the world and help shape global policy and bring families together. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Victoria. Bye-bye, Justin.